0: coming up next real israel talk radio program 21 episode 66
1: to understand biblical love you have to understand the vehafta it could easily be translated as and he is loving you with yud in all your heart, in all your soul, and in all your veriness. And Shalom. Welcome once again, friends, to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai. This is part 2 of my continuing series on defining biblical love. We're going to pick up on this program where we left off at the end of part one. On part one, we were addressing the idea of what is biblical love as it's defined in the Bible. Of course, we know that the Bible is going to express truth differently than what we are normally used to hearing on the street or in everyday life. So last time we asked the question, what is love? And uh, I brought up the issue of uh, the dictionary definition of what the term generally means and what kind of answer you might expect to receive if you should ask somebody the question, well, what exactly is love? And generally, most people are going to respond, with uh, some answers that might include a lot of emotions or behaviors or beliefs that are linked to some very strong feelings of affection or protectiveness or warmth and even respect for others. So that's the general idea of love. And also we learned on the last podcast that uh, most people are generally going to understand love as bringing um, a source of joy or happiness or acceptance for another person, which of course gives us the converse idea that if we do not generate love for and acceptance of all people, regardless of their beliefs and or their cultural customs, then uh, we are simply not loving, and we are not injecting love into the world. That's generally how it's understood. So to help us understand the deeper aspects of what love is actually all about, we're going to continue here with part two of our series, Defining Biblical Love. So with that being said, let's get started. Let's begin with Deuteronomy, or Devarim, chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4 is referred to in Judaism as the Shema, which means to hear, listen, obey these kinds of ideas. And generally in Judaism, this is considered an extremely important theological statement because... In these six words of Hebrew Scripture, this is identifying the oneness of God, that is the unity of God, and the fact that we have his commandments or his divine statutes and judgments that have been given to us in order to hear and obey. And this is something that Yeshua specifically addressed when his mother and his brothers came to him in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. He specifically made a reference to the Shema when he said in Luke eight nineteen through 21, "...then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd." And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And here we have one or more people approaching him during one of his teaching sessions. They snag him for a moment and they say to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Yeshua's response was, "My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. or in Hebrew it would be "Hear the word of God and do him. based on Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 through 11, and also John 1:14. So that was his response. And if you put this response into Hebrew, it will remarkably match with the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. And this is after we read in Exodus, or Shemot, chapter 24, verses 5 through 8, Moses had sent some young men of the sons of Israel who offered burnt offerings and... Uh, slaughtered peace offerings of oxen to Jehovah. That Moses took from those animals half the blood and put it in basins, and then the other half he sprinkled on the altar. And then in 24 7 of Exodus, it says he took the book of the covenant, that is the Sefer Habrit, the book of the covenant, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said collectively, all that Jehovah has said, we will do, and we will hear. And Moses then in twenty four eight responds, "He took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and he said, This is the blood of the covenant, which Yehovah has made with you." According to all these words, the words meaning all that Jehovah has said, we will do and we will hear or be obedient. And that in Hebrew would be, Naase Vanishma. Naase Vanishma. We will do and we will hear. That's what they said. So the covenant was then established between the people and Jehovah there at the mountain. This gives us the basis for understanding why Yeshua said what he said in Luke eight nineteen through twenty one. But not just there, Yeshua also echoes the same idea of the Shema that is the hear and do or the do and be obedient idea he echoes that again in luke 11:27 through 28 so let's read it there and it happened as he spoke these things referring to yeshua's words to those gathered around to hear his lessons that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. And his response was, More than that. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and guard him or do him, which again is the same idea as referenced in the Shema of Deuteronomy, or Devarim, chapter 6, verse 4, and Exodus, or Shemot, chapter 24, verses 5 through 8. So that is why, in Judaism, it is considered such an important element for the term love, or in Hebrew, ahava, now, I would like to briefly point out something in Luke eleven twenty seven that perhaps maybe you had never noticed before, or maybe you have, when the woman says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. This is actually quite telling. And the reason for that is because it goes back to the Hebrew word, Shaddaiim because the idea of breasts in Hebrew is from the Hebrew word Shad or a breast because the Almighty Eternal One referred to in Hebrew scripture as El Shaddai, El Shaddai, which of course Shaddai is from the word Shad because El Shaddai is called the double breasted one. It is a very feminine idea in Hebrew Scripture, obviously. Now, this idea of the breasts, referring to El Shaddai as the double breasted one, that is the illusion that is being given to us through Yeshua's response to the woman that is speaking to him in Luke eleven twenty seven. And this idea of the breasts, or Shaddai or Shaddaiim, is going to be found in Psalm 22, verse 9, Job 3.12, Song of Solomon thirteen, Song of Solomon 8.1, and it all goes back to Genesis 49 this is the prayer of Jacob just before he dies, and he is praying these blessings over his sons in Genesis forty-nine twenty-two, He says that Joseph is a fruitful bow by a well, and then verse 25 continues in saying, By the God of your Father who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, and then it closes by saying, and the blessings of the breasts and of the womb. Genesis 49, verse 25. So this can help you to understand the depth of the meaning going on here concerning Yeshua, the Messiah, in Luke eleven twenty-seven, when the woman says, "Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts which nursed you," going back to Genesis forty-nine twenty-five, and then Yeshua's response was to take it into the Shema and the Veahavta of Deuteronomy six four through nine, which ties it all together with Exodus, or Shemot, 24, verses 5 through 8. It's all linked together, folks. These statements that Yeshua said were not haphazard statements just because he felt like saying something nice. He was identifying himself with the idea of Ben-Joseph or ben Yosef, and with El Shaddai, referring to his mother or the feminine aspect of the divine name vav in heaven because that is a parental idea that is feminine and it's masculine. Yudhe Vav or Yehovah or as it says in Exodus chapter three verses fourteen and fifteen it says that Jehovah revealed his name to Moses and told Moses to tell all the people when they said, who sent you? And the answer was Ehieh Asher Ehieh, which is identified with the name Yudhe in Exodus chapter three, verses 14 and 15. Okay. That was just a bit of a sidebar that I wanted to give to you so that you could understand the depth of what is going on in this response that Yeshua is making to the woman who was crying out to him about the Shema. But the idea of the Shema from Devilim or Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 is that of hearing and doing, or doing and obeying—that's the idea. It is the Shema. So let us now carry on with the idea. So in Hebrew it says, "Shema Israel, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad." And these six words are very important to the overall theological concept of yud and the divine eternal name as it is mentioned some 7,000 times in all of Hebrew scripture. Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad, which simply, if we were to translate it into English, it would come out something like this. Hear or obey, O Israel, Jehovah is our Elohim. Jehovah is one. Or Jehovah is our God, Jehovah is one. And when you look at it in Hebrew, it is interesting because between the two words Yudeh Vav Hey and Echad There is a vertical line in the Hebrew text, and this vertical line, no one is actually 100% quite sure why it's there, but what we understand it to be is a separation between the words yudhevavhe elohenu, yudhevavhe, and the word echad, which is one, because yudhevavhe and yudhevavhey with the middle elohenu between those two terms that gives us one complete idea that's one whole unit and that would be understood as yudhevavhey and yudhevavhey separated in the middle by elohenu our god or our elohim And this is the idea of the first word in the Shema and the last word in the Shema. The first word is Shema. The last word is Echad. When you take the last letters of both of those words, that is, the Ayin of Shema and the Dalet of Echad, the Ayin and the Dalet, you get the word ed, ed, which is the word for a testimony or a witness. So by speaking, saying, doing, hearing, obeying Shema, you are giving testimony or witness to this truth in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four. You're testifying to the truth of Shema, hear or obey, Israel, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah, and then Echad or one. You're testifying to that truth. That is the whole point of why it's written the way it's written. So this is all again tied into El Shaddai, Yud Hey Vav Hey, Asher all of this is tied in with Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, to give us the truth and the testimony that we are to hear, obey, listen, and testify of Jehovah through Israel. That name is manifest or expressed through Yudhe on the right side. Yudhevav on the left side, as it says in the book of Psalms, that's the tree of life. And then in the middle of those trees is the river of the water of life. That is Eloheinu, from Elohim, referring to our Elohim in Hebrew, or our God. Eloheinu, our God, our Elohim. And all of that testifies to the truth of oneness or echad. Therefore, we learn from Yeshua's prayer in John seventeen twenty through 26, on the concept of how to define biblical love. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect, or the Hebrew word tamim for completeness in one. And Yeshua then says that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And then again, in John seventeen twenty-four through 26, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me and where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O just father or righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me and I have declared to them your name and will declare that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That is the idea of oneness and love as it's defined in scripture. So in other words, Scripture is going to define true biblical love as the oneness of Yudehavave Eloheinu Yudehavave and it's going to define biblical love as sending to us the redeeming one who will come to redeem us from the law of sin and death in the tree of the knowledge of good but evil now, this statement, which follows the Shema of Deuteronomy 6.4, is referred to as the Ve'ahavta. And for those of you that are not necessarily familiar with that term or the theology behind the term, because uh, many people are not, uh, this is the opportunity that I have then to try to explain this to you. But I don't think it's necessarily what we think it means. So let me give it to you in Hebrew and then I'll translate it into English as it's normally translated. Ve'hafteh et Yehova Elohecha bechol l'vavcha u'v'chol nafshcha u'v'chol me'odecha. Again, ve'hafteh et Yehova Elohecha bechol l'vavcha u'v'chol nafshcha u'v'chol me'odecha. Now normally This is translated into English to give us this idea. You shall love Jehovah your Elohim, or the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. However, I'm going to unpack some of the Hebrew here for you, as well as Hebrew grammar, and we're going to find out that there is something just a bit different going on here in the text. So, in the grammar that belongs to this very first word, verhafta, verhafta. Something interesting is going on that is not always evident in English, but I would think that most of the Hebrew scholars would know what I'm about to tell you. I would think so, but I can't always say for sure because I don't always know what they're thinking. Now, we're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to come back on the second half of our podcast here, and I'm going to continue unpacking this Shema Verhafta idea, as it's identified in Hebrew, from Deuteronomy, or Devarim, chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. So join me, and we'll come back after the break and look at Verhafta which is all part of this biblical definition of love. This is Avi ben Mordechai and Real Israel Talk Radio.
0: You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 66.
1: Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host. Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. Again, I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and thanks for joining us. Let's continue where we left off. Let's go to Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter six, and verse five. You shall love Yehovah your Elohim with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. The term vehafta. it's a third-person masculine singular verb in the building block called kal, which is one of seven of the building blocks of the Hebrew verbs, kal. And kal is an active verb, not a passive verb, So in other words, it's something that you are doing as opposed to something that we have already done. Kind of like saying the boy was hitting the ball as opposed to the boy hit the ball. So this is active versus passive. And it's consecutive in the sense that there are a series of words and ideas that come before the term. So it's going to give us an idea of a consecutive action, kind of like saying, and, and, and. Maybe some of you grandparents and you parents, you know, you have these uh, little kids around you and uh, they come and talk to you really excited. And they'll say, and, 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 and they keep saying this word and, you know, that's that idea of a of a consecutive concept, okay? So now, what I want to do is I want to take you to Ve'a Hafta, and I want to show you, based on this grammatical concept, that it is a kal, third-person, singular, perfect, consecutive, masculine, active verb. Well, that's a mouthful, huh? Given this understanding in what it is, and I can see this exact same grammatical construction in several areas of the Hebrew text. It doesn't show up a lot, but it does show up a few times in the Hebrew texts. This is how I would understand it or translate it, given the kind of grammar that it is. I would say that instead of trying to understand Vehafta as you shall love... Yehovah, your Elohim, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, we should be reading it in the following way. And he is loving you with Yehovah, as it has some flexibility in the way we can understand it linguistically or grammatically. Or you could say it this way, and he is loving you with Yehovah, In all your heart. So, who is the He referring to? That is Yehovah. But remember the Shema, where we learn Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad. So you have two of the divine name, almost like bookends on two sides of the word Eloheinu. Our Elohim or our God. So it's as if Jehovah is speaking of Jehovah himself and saying he is loving you or, and he loves with Jehovah. So here are ways that I could easily understand the text without butchering it and making it into something that it just flat out doesn't say. This is Vehafta. Now, let's take a look at a couple of passages to help us understand this, okay? Let's go with Exodus chapter 19 verses 20 through 24. Exodus chapter 19 verses 20 through 24. Okay? Then Yehovah, or Yudhevavhe, came down upon Mount Sinai, On the top of the mountain. And Jehovah called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up or he ascended. And Jehovah said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at Jehovah and many of them perish. Notice here that Jehovah Yud is the speaker, and as the speaker he is saying to tell Moses to warn the people not to break through and gaze at Yehovah. Why not say to gaze at me? No, he's speaking to say to gaze at Yehovah. It's pointing us to Yehovah. Now keep going. Verse twenty two. And let the priests who come near to Jehovah, that's Jehovah speaking, consecrate themselves lest Yehovah break out against them. Why not say lest I break out against them? Then go to verse twenty three. But Moses said to Jehovah, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then, verse 24, the speaker is yud Hey vav or Yehovah. Then Jehovah said to him, Get away now, and go down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Yehovah or Yudehav, lest he break out against them. Notice that he break out against them. The speaker is Yudhe Vav but he's referring to himself in the third person that he will break out against them. Do you follow me here? Now this is in English, but it's also in Hebrew in the same way. So, we would ask the question, why is the speaker in the first person speaking about himself in the third person? Now, rabbinic Judaism has some answers to that, but the answers are, in my opinion, a little bit lame. They're trying to explain a tremendous anomaly of something that just absolutely doesn't make sense to them, so they're trying to explain it. But... I think it's explained perfectly when you read the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where we learn Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad. There we have Yehovah at the beginning, followed by Eloheinu, our Elohim, or our God, and Jehovah at the end, which both are the name yud Hey Vav This tells me the idea that many ancient Jews talked about as the greater Yod Vav and the lesser Yod Vav in other words father and son That is why the Hebrew word Evan Aleph Vet Nun which means a stone is actually a combination of two words. That is av, that's aleph and Bait, and Bait and noon, father in the son, and the son in the father. Evan, that's the stone. As you learn about from Genesis chapter 49, verse 24, 49, verse 24, the stone is Evan. So therefore, put the two together. That's Av and Ben, or Evan, Father in Son, Son in Father. This is the idea of Yudhe Vaveh, found in the Shema. So that explains Exodus chapter 19, verse 24, that the speaker, Yehovah, is saying, Don't let them break through to gaze at him. He doesn't say let them not break through to gaze at me. He says to gaze at him. That's the Son, because the Son Yudhevave. He is the lawgiver. Now we'll take one more passage just to help you understand this idea of the oneness, the biblical oneness of Yudevave, and why this oneness is truly the definition for biblical love, exactly as Yeshua said in his prayer in John 17, when he said, may they be one even as we are one, which is the Shema, totally. Shema Yisrael, Yehovah Eloheinu, Yehovah Echad, One. Now go to Exodus 24, verse 12, and notice this. Then Jehovah said to Moses, Come up to me. Yes, it says that in Hebrew. Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments or mitzvot Which I have written that you may teach them. So you see that? Now that's all in the first person. That's not speaking third person anymore. Why? Because the speaker is the Messiah. That is Mashiach. He is the one who is the speaker because he is the one who was also the lawgiver. He is the one writing the law and the mitzvot or the commandments. So naturally, he's going to say, come up to me, because I have written this for you. Okay? That's the idea that I'm trying to present to you. So to understand biblical love, you have to understand the ve'ah which again could easily, without ever butchering the text, it could easily be translated as and he is loving you with yudhayavhey in all your heart in all your soul and in all your veriness in other words he is loving you immensely with everything that he has he's doing that for you with you, because of you, in you. He loves you. Now, when you go to 1 John 4.19, you're going to find an understanding of this in one very simple statement. Again, 1 John 4.19. What does it say there? We love him because he first Loved us. You see that? We love him because he first loved us. So who's actually doing the loving here? It's not me, it's not you. Ah uh, it's him. He's doing the loving first. And then we are merely the responders to that love. Therefore. We will obey, hear, listen, Shema, keep. We're going to do all of that as a response unto him because he first loved us. And he is always loving us first. And he's always loving you first too. Now I'll give you one last point of this ve'ah and that is on the Hebrew letters Et. That's Aleph Tav. So, in other words, the Hebrew text here says, "Vehafta et Yehovah Elohecha. So, what is that? Well, if we understand this, "Vehafta" to mean, and he is loving you with Yudhe in all your heart, or you could say, and his love of you is with. That's the operative word. His love of you is with Yudhevave, in all your heart, in all your soul, and in all your variness or your strength. That is going to be extremely important to understand, because it that's aleph Tab is the beginning and the end. You will see that idea referenced in the book of Revelation when Yeshua says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Or instead of Greek, putting it into Hebrew, I am the Aleph and the Tab, the beginning and the end. So the Aleph-Tab is a direct object pointer in Hebrew grammar, with the implication that it is the Aleph-Tab that is actually doing the work. And then by doing that work, his work is causative through and with Yehovah Elohecha. Again, I'll say that so you can follow me here. The Aleph Tab being the direct object pointer in Hebrew, he is the one that is doing the action or doing the work in, with, and through what follows, which is Yude Bave Elohenu. That's what the et refers to. And if you have any doubts, you can do a search on Hebrew grammar or Hebrew linguistics and go look up the various ways that et Aleph Tav can be translated, and you will see that the term with is a valid way to understand the Aleph and the Tav. Absolutely. We all know that. Every Jewish scholar is going to know that. Every rabbi will certainly know that. It's just common knowledge. You can use the word with in place of Aleph Tav. It's not directly translatable into English because with is one of many ways to understand the Aleph and the Tav. But the fact is, and it's an important fact, is that the Aleph and the Tav is the one actually performing this action. I know this is a bit difficult to explain it in terms of doing it here verbally, but I'm trusting that you will be able to follow along with me. And then it says in the rest of the Ve'ahavta, it says you are to know that he is loving you et Yehovah Elohecha, that is with Yehovah Elohim. In all your heart. Here the word is Bechol Levavacha. That's in all your heart. And then it goes on, and in all your soul. Then it goes on, and in all your meodecha, in all your veriness, your veriness, from the Hebrew word me'od, very. So it's your veriness. Everything that you are. He is loving you. And not only that, but he does love you, and he will love you, and he will never stop loving you. This is the definition of biblical love. It's the va'hafta from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, which is based on the Shema of Deuteronomy six four, which is based on everything that we understand which is why First John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. It's so very, very important to understand these ideas. Maybe you grew up in church and maybe you went to Sunday school and then they would teach you the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? You would sing that kind of stuff, right? Now I'm giving you some context from the Hebrew scriptures to understand that this is a very deep and divine understanding for what it is that is truly happening here. You are being loved every moment of every day, of every hour, of every second, of every year, you are being loved. Vahafta. And that's why it's so important for you to understand this. And we're going to pick up where we have left off here. And we'll talk more about the Vahafta on part three of our program, defining biblical love to talk about Deuteronomy, Devarim, chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, which is the rest of that idea of the ve'a that you are being loved with everything that you are, rather than simply turning this around on its head to make it sound like you're in deep trouble if you don't love him and keep his commandments. Because that's what Judaism is so focused on, is if you violate God's commandments and you break just even one of them, boy, are you in trouble. Kind of like wait till your father gets home. And many of you can relate to that idea when you were growing up. I know I can when I was growing up. Oh yeah, wait till your father gets home. You got that fear burning through your bones. Uh Uh-oh, I am in trouble. (laughs) Okay, that's not what this is talking about. That if you somehow just really screw up, you're in deep trouble because you didn't keep God's commandments. This is about that he loves you and he is loving you and you are a responsive, organic element with your heart and your soul and your might, you are responding to that and saying, I love you too. Thank you. Okay? So don't get so wiped out every time you make a mistake. Don't do it. It's just not worth it. It's not worth it to get so wiped out and so completely in a frantic mood Every time something wrong happens and you just make a mistake, Yehovah is loving you every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every month, every year. He goes on and on and on. His mercy is forever. Okay? You are loved and you are being loved.
0: We sing praises to the King.
1: come back. We'll talk more about this on part three of Defining Biblical Love on the next podcast. And we'll get into Deuteronomy 6, 6-9. through 9. So stay with us, and we'll have a great time on the next program. And if you would like further information from what we're doing here at Coming Home, you can go to cominghome.co.il. You can sign up for our whatever we send out once in a while, okay? That's www.cominghome.co.il, okay? I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio.